any real fundamental shift to the underlying way in which an organization does business changes the threat landscape. You can't ignore that. You've got to address the fact that you're making changes that are potentially opening up new risks as you go, unless we want to continue to be in a sort of a legacy chasing of the tail environment. Welcome to Code to Cloud. I'm your host, Tim Chase, Global Field CISO at Lacework. And today I'm excited to talk with Emily Mossberg. Emily is Global Cyber Leader at Deloitte, a leading global provider of audit and assurance, consulting, financial advisory, risk advisory, tax, and related services. She has more than 20 years of experience across both federal and private sectors in developing strategy and programs and implementing technical solutions to manage cyber and associated risk, information security, data protection, and privacy. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here with you today. Since we talked about risk a little bit in the intro, let's kind of segue into that topic. Just in general, how do you think about risk? when it comes to cybersecurity? Cybersecurity is a space that's been evolving rapidly over the course of the last 20 plus years that I've been in this space. And, you know, it started off thinking about risk where organizations really didn't understand if there was a risk to them. More of the questions that I would get than any other was, is this really relevant to me? Is this really a risk to me? What do I have that an adversary would be interested in? To a discussion today where organizations clearly understand that they may be a target. They have a much better understanding of what the risk is. And they're putting that in terms of not just technology and cyber risk, not just data risk, but what is the risk to the organization itself? And how might issues that stem from cybersecurity risks really impact a business's ability to be resilient, to be able to continue to do business, to be able to continue to thrive in the very fast-paced, technologically advanced world that we're in today. So when I think about risk and I work with my clients on thinking about their risk appetite, their risk tolerance, and really where they sit as it relates to risk, a lot of the discussion really takes us to what is their business? What is the lifeblood of their business? What could potentially impact or provide risk to that lifeblood of their business? And then how do you tie cyber to those things? It becomes a very complex conversation very quickly when you start to tie together all of these technological and business advances at the same time. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. And you know, one of the things that I've heard a lot lately that I've been talking about and writing about, reading about is security as a business enabler, because you talk about risk and how that applies to the business and ultimately to cybersecurity. And it's starting to feel like people in boards and executives are starting to understand that cybersecurity and business kind of have to tie together. And so how do you view security as a business enabler? How can you make that case to the executives and to the boards? Security really is a business enabler in my mind through two very different ways. One is trust overall. 
There's a lot of discussion in the marketplace today about the importance of trust, the importance of consumer trust, and how big of a role that plays in where consumers choose to do business and how they choose to do business. So when you think about trust, one of the things that comes up most often is, does the organization trust the way in which the enterprise is managing their information? Are they protecting the information? Are they mm -hmm. sure and confident that the enterprise really is treating their data and all of those things that come along with it in a way that would allow them to continue to trust the enterprise? Beyond that, I also think about the fact that cyber itself because of the role that technology is playing in business, is getting closer and closer to the business. So if you think about the areas of cyber that are growing the most, like emerging technology, operational mm -hmm. technology, connected devices, all of those things are getting closer and closer to the consumer. They're getting closer to the actual solutions and products that organizations are delivering to their customer, client, consumer base. So cyber now has a very clear connection. It's not just sitting in IT. It's not just an infrastructure play related to a business tool, it is now core within the actual solutions and products that organizations are selling to the public. And so that differentiation of, is this device secure? Will it allow you, consumer, to have a better experience. It sort of is where the trust element ties in. Will it allow you to operate this device with the trust that you may need because of the fact that, you know, it's now something that's in your home. It's now something that you're working with every day. It, it may have access to information, not just about you, but about your family, et cetera. So I think all of those things are really moving us towards a place where the differentiation that an organization can have is in how they're implementing cyber in order to make their products, their services more trustworthy and provide mm -hmm. better experiences for their customer and consumer base. Mm, so maybe not even just cyber as a business enabler, but cyber potentially as a differentiator. Like it's one thing to be like, we're gonna take this product to market and if it fails because of security related issues, then we'll have this, but then if you can come forward and really prove how you're different from a cyber perspective and put yourself out there in the market to be like, we take security seriously and here's how we do it, you see that as being a differentiator in the market. Yes. And again, as we're seeing more connected devices, more solutions becoming as a service type solutions, I think that becomes even more important because we're starting to talk more about consumers and the security of consumers and people and individuals and families than we are just an enterprise. Yeah, spot on. And I think historically, a lot of times that's where security has fallen flat. Sometimes it gets lost on the consumers, on us and on the devices that we use. I mean, maybe it's focused more on like the website of your bank and not as much on, you know, the devices. And so even maybe kind of going off of the consumer and the devices and things like that, you know, those are kind of a global problem, right? When you think about devices and where we're going with systems these days, it's not just a local problem, but a lot of these things that we're building are global. And obviously Deloitte has a truly global footprint. So how are you addressing security needs across borders? Well, the reality is that 
most enterprises are a multi-country type organization and the business that they do is crossing borders. So for us, it's very important that we have one, global visibility. And what I mean by that is the things that you can look for and see from a threat intelligence perspective and a monitoring perspective, geography by geography, are often slightly nuanced and different. We want to make sure that we're bringing those things together and giving our clients a view of the holistic global landscape as it relates to ongoing activity and threat intelligence. Beyond that, we want to make sure that we're bringing together the realities of a complex legal and regulatory world. We opened with talking about risk, and risk is, in my mind, the foundational thing, element, really, that you need to be considering as it relates to cyber. But the reality is, is all the enterprises also need to be thinking about legal and regulatory regimes, what they're allowed and not allowed to do with particular data types, what they're required to disclose as it relates to potential malicious activity and incidents. We want to be able to bring to our clients a lens that pulls together all of the various legal and regulatory regimes and gives them a strong sense of in order to be compliant around the globe, in order to understand what your requirements and legally you're required to do around the globe, here's the broad spectrum of the things that you need to be thinking about. And beyond that, we see that innovation takes different shapes in different places around the globe. And, you know, there are certain things that start and are more interesting or are driven faster in one area of the world versus another, whether that be AI, whether that be connected vehicles. And what we really want to be able to do is to identify where we're seeing that fast moving innovation shine a light on it for the entirety of our team so we get a sense of where things may be moving faster, where things are innovating, and then bringing that together so that we can move as rapidly as possible in helping our clients best understand you know, what new solutions, what new technologies, what new platforms they should be considering, and where we might have the right experience in order for them to really get the best value out of those new solutions and tools. So for us, that global interconnectivity is really key (laughs) to our practice and our ability to serve our clients. Do you find that threats are different across borders or industries? At a high level, no. At a detailed level, yes. I mean, you can't talk about the threat landscape from a cyber standpoint without some consideration of nation state activities. And obviously, you know, nation state activities and interests are different region by region, geography by geography, country by country. So, you know, yes, there is some nuance, I would say, Mm -hmm. to the threat landscape, but ultimately the connected world that we live in That's really been the place where all the connected devices, 5G, I mean, that's, if anything, what's broken down all the walls and made the world the small place that it is today. And so when you factor in cyber and all of that, I mean, nothing moves faster across the cyber landscape and the internet and connected devices than threat activity. You just wrapped up your global future of cybersecurity survey. 
So I'm curious to hear about any of the findings that you can share from that. Maybe what organizations are laying out as their biggest risks or priorities or just any findings that you found interesting from that report. One of the things that I love about this report is the fact that one, it's global in nature, but two, that we're not just talking to chief information security officers as it relates to this survey. We're surveying across the C-suite. So we have a mix of CEOs, COOs, CFOs, obviously CIOs and chief information security officers, but we even include, you know, like a chief marketing officer in this exercise because we really want to understand broadly across the executive suite What is their appetite for continuing to address the cyber issue? What's their understanding? Mm -hmm. Where do they think that their organization needs to focus? I mean, a couple of things, you know, jump out, one of which ties back to one of your earlier questions around business enablement Mm -hmm. and business value of cyber. And that is a finding that said that 86% of the participants said that they saw some other business value or outcome based upon the spend that they had for cyber. So that could have been a reputational benefit. It could have been a revenue Mm -hmm. benefit. It could have been an operational resilience benefit. It could have been a brand benefit, but that they saw a benefit to their business, a hardcore business benefit and value outside of just the cyber investment that they made based upon their program and based upon their investment. That's a good little snap. Yeah. Isn't that an interesting statistic? Mm -hmm. And it's one, obviously, Mm -hmm. that we want to continue to trend and model because it's the first year that we saw such a strong tie between business value and cyber spend. And so, you know, it's definitely something that we're interested in keeping a close eye on. The other thing is, you know, the fact that the cyber topic continues to be such an important topic on the board agenda. And, you know, Mm. as a cyber person, to me, and I don't know, Tim, how you feel about it, but it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because, you know, I think that there were years and years where there was a need or a want or a desire to be like, we need more visibility on the fact that there's a threat here. We need more funding. We need more support. But now, you know, it's sort of like, well, anytime anything happens in the marketplace and there's any, like, blip around cyber, the CISO and, you know, gets called into the board and there's a million questions. And, you know, every minute that the CISO spends prepping for a board meeting is a minute that they're not, you know, sort of actively chasing the threat. So it becomes this pull, right, between like you want the visibility and you want the understanding, but it's also it changes the essence of the job, right? Mm -hmm. Because instead of focusing on, you know, the true execution and protection of the organization, you spend a lot more time communicating, socializing, you know, getting the right level of executive buy-in, all things that are important. And I guess, you know, as we become a a mature space in cyber are things that we have to get used to, but it's definitely changed the shape of the CISO Mm -hmm. role and what it really means to be a CISO and or a CISO that has the right level of sponsorship at the executive level. One of the things that I'm seeing that kind of goes along with that is that the board wants the expertise, the security expertise, right? And so it's not always pulling in the CISO now. Sometimes it's getting somebody with the security expertise on the board itself, or maybe as an advisor to the board, right? Like a special advisor that does everything with cybersecurity. So they don't have to pull that CISO away. It's let's get somebody on the board or let's get an advisor to the board that can help us answer these questions to make sure that when we're talking to the CISO or we're talking to whomever, that we have the right questions rather than having to pull him in. 
all the time because I'm with you. Like it used to be like, hey, this company just got breached. What are we doing to prevent it? What can we do? Like, do you have everything you need? You know, and it was kind of that constant question. And you're like, I think so. But like, they're probably not going to repeat the same thing twice. Yeah. I'll take extra money if you've got it. I mean, sure, that'll help. Well, we even saw clients that didn't want more money. Like it got to a point where it was like, (laughs) how much money do we need to give you in order for this to go away or not be an issue? And, you know, you and I both know that there is no magic number. The cyber risk will never be zero. Um, And so there were a lot of, you know, some of our clients that were like, I don't want them to give me any more money. I don't want to miss that expectations that I can get this to a place where there's no risk at all. That is interesting because I forget who it was I was talking to the other day and I was like, have you ever just gotten to the point where you don't want any more money? And they're like, no, is that a thing? But I'm like, <laughs> but I suspect it is a thing. Because like you said, your point is good. It's like, you don't want all the money in the world because then like tools just cause more work and then the more data you got to sort through. Resources are also like finite, right? So then at some point you have a d- diminishing returns with bringing more people on, right? And then like you said, it's like, there's at some point, you just got to be like, I'm pretty good right now. Let's just sit and see how things are going and we can reevaluate and make changes as needed. But yeah, that's interesting. I, I love that. I'm going to have to you know, read the full report there because I did like that first statistic that you mentioned. And it feels like it's going along with the whole business enablement sort of thought process because goodwill and things like that are historically hard to prove, right? When you go in there and you ask for more money from a board and you're like, well, if we get breached, like it's going to kill our goodwill. Like, how do you quantify that, right? Yeah. I mean, all that being said, another sort of interesting snippet from the report is that 58% of the respondents said that they were going to have an increased cyber investment and budget in the next year. So, mm. you know, even the, the conversation of, well, do they want more money? Do they not want more money? Most organizations are continuing to spend more and they're continuing, I think, in many ways to spend it, not just in an isolated bucket within cyber. There's more in our survey that talks about the fact that there's a connection between the spending and how they're spending it as it relates to other investments like digital transformation and cloud analytics and things like that. And so they're starting to marry up some of these investments because I think there is more and more of a recognition that any real fundamental shift to the underlying way in which an organization does business changes the threat landscape. You can't ignore that. You've got to address the fact that you're making changes that are potentially opening up new risks as you go, unless we want to continue to be in a sort of a legacy chasing of the tail environment, which is, you know, unfortunately where we've been for the last several years, yeah. <laughs> at least the yes. years that I've been in this space, oh, right? Yeah. I think we'd all love to find a way to get ahead of that. To pair the strategic priorities with the security that goes with it. Like we've all been a part of the, hey, we're going to the cloud, cool. And then a year later, like, oh crap, how are we going to secure the cloud sort of conversations, right? right? Digital transformation without the security being brought in and the aspect of it. Yeah. So pivoting a little bit, I mentioned maybe resource constraints in resources and cybersecurity. And so I'd like your opinion on that. So I think diversity of cybersecurity is a priority of yours, women in particular. And so I would love to know first, like, how would you define diversity? Because I've heard of it many ways, especially when it comes to like cybersecurity and employment in this field. So, you know, I'll start, if it's okay with you, Mm -hmm. with telling a little bit of a story. And I think that gives a little bit of a basis for 
why I have some of the thought processes that I have. I personally came into cyber by accident. Coming out of college, I had a strong mix of math and science background. And the immediate reaction to my potential employer, which was not Deloitte, but was, <laughs> oh, you have a math and science background, you should be a technologist. Because we don't have a lot of women that are in our technology group, and you've got math and science. So, you know, you should go there. And I, okay, fine, right? And over time, then I moved from the technology space over to cyber again by accident because a group of people that I'd worked with were making the transition from technology to the cyberspace, broad technology, infrastructure technology to the cyberspace. And I was like, I don't really know anything about this, but I'm going to jump in. And I'm going to give it a try. Now, the reality is, and the reason I share this is my degree is in environmental science. You know, if yep. you ask the average cyber person. What's the kind of person we should be looking for in order to bring into this field? They're going to gravitate towards computer science. They're going to gravitate towards computer engineering. And I'm not suggesting that that isn't an important skill set, an important element of what we want to bring into the cyberspace. I'm suggesting that when I talk about diversity, it's diversity of thought diversity of experience. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about how cyber has become integrated in so many different parts of the business and the end products and the end solutions that organizations are bringing out to their consumers. That means we have to have a group of people that understand how those elements of the business, of finance, of interaction with the consumer work in order yeah. to understand what the potential risk is from a cyber standpoint, and then therefore what you might need to do to secure it. And I'm really focused on, you know, how do we make this profession? How do we shine a light on this profession so that a broad set of individuals understand just how sophisticated and complex it is, just how many elements there are to being in cyber. Being in cyber doesn't necessarily just mean hands-on keyboard, I'm monitoring 24 by 7 for threats. It can mean I'm helping to work with the HR organization to understand what kind of personally identifiable information that they have so that I can help them figure out what data protection measures they need to put in place because what of that information might be the most interesting, right? Or it may be I need to understand the most sophisticated financial transactions that my bank does because those are the ones that might be most highly targeted. And so what would it look like if someone wanted to, you know, do a very sophisticated phishing campaign or spear phishing campaign in order to interrupt that process or that type of transaction. And I, I just think bringing together all those different types of thought processes and experiences, that's really what's going to allow us to get the right teams in order to be able to think holistically about the reality of the threat and the different options that we have for countering that threat. I think it's easy for us cyber leaders to just bring in like-minded people who, you know, you want to have a drink with or you have worked with before and that, you know, they do a good job. And it's so easy to just kind of do that. Right. And before you know it, you've got this kind of group think or nobody challenging. I don't find that to be a healthy teams long term. I'm right there with you. Like when I build teams, it's a matter of finding somebody who, who's done something different. I've brought in 
people into my security team that were in performance testing before because they knew applications, but they didn't know the security side. So you bring them in. Or when I was running security at a healthcare training company, I came in and they had somebody doing, she was a SOC analyst, didn't have a comp TIA network plus didn't have anything. And they had her learning this technical stuff and she was just really struggling. And so I, I flipped the script a little bit and just said, why don't you do GRC work? Like you're really good at auditing and doing all of this and just took off. Also, I think you tell me if I'm wrong as leaders, finding the places that people will succeed. Yeah. You know, it's about the diversity of thought and having different people on, but it's also about making sure that you put them in a place where they can succeed. Yeah. Playing to strengths, right? You know, Deloitte has a huge focus on women in cyber. Part of it is because I want to bring people that may not gravitate to the space into the space. And, you know, how we really sort of got started in this was the stats are the stats, right? The number Mm -hmm. of women in cyber is significantly lower than the number of men. You know, it was a conversation that started around like, well, why do we think that is? And, you know, I think at one point somebody even asked me, do you find it to be an unfriendly place for women to work? And that thought had never crossed my mind. I don't find it unfriendly Mm -hmm. at all. And so I started thinking in my head, well, what is it then? Like, it's not that it's not a friendly place for women. And Mm -hmm. as I reflected on it and I started thinking about, well, the conversations that I have with my female friends about what I do, I was like, a lot of women think the space isn't that interesting. So it's not about whether it's a friendly space to women. It was, is it being portrayed in a way that women would actually have interest and want to be involved? And so that's really what drove us to think about the Women in Cyber campaign, because we wanted to be able to show women, but honestly, everyone, that, you know, you don't have to look a certain way or be a certain way or have a certain background to be in cyber. We need people that look like all kinds of different individuals. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we started highlighting people that used to be teachers or used to be in like human resources or used to be in all kinds of different areas and professions, and then talked about like how and why they made the transition to cyber. And that's really about just wanting to make it a friendlier place for women to want to be. Not that it's not a friendly field, but it's not a place that women are like, oh, you know what I really want to do? I want to go do cyber. But I want them to start to feel that way. And so that's really what we were trying to do with that. That's interesting. So it's not so much the unfriendly part. It's maybe they had this picture of like this DEF CON lockpicking guys with beards down to here, sort of security person as opposed Hoodies, to, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean to stereotype too much, but we'll just right. put it out I mean, there. But that, but, <laughs> but, well, you know, it's interesting because we've done a lot of work with the female quotient on this and I did a, some informal polling. I actually had a group of high school students come and visit us in our cyber center here in DC. And I asked them because I really was trying to like sort of poke on the perception when you think about cyber And these were all kids, teenagers, whatever, that are Mm -hmm. in their cybersecurity club, right? So there are people that have an interest. And when I ask them, what's your perspective? Like, what do you visualize when I say cybersecurity? It was still that visual. Uh, Mm. You know, there was hoodies mentioned, you know, basements, someone hovering over a keyboard, (laughs) all of those 
things were still mentioned. And, you know, we've got to, I think, think about is that really the perception that we want out there, especially, you know, we talked a little bit about the CISO role changing and it being less sometimes about hands-on technical and more about communication and collaboration and socialization and getting buy-in and getting budgets. I mean, you talk about that, you you get a different visual Mm -hmm. than if you talk about like cybersecurity. So I do think that there's a challenge to the space to broaden the perspective. Yeah, I did an interview with someone the other day and he said something that I really like. And he said, you know, we've got to challenge and change the face of security and the leaders in security so that your IQ equals your EQ, you know, obviously meaning that your smarts equal your emotional quotient, like your being able to tell a story, being able to empathize, being able to understand the business and be technically smart. Like you've got to kind of do both of those. And so I think that's one of the strengths of where cybersecurity is going. If we could get that out there, of it's so much more about understanding the business. Like if there's a somebody else who comes from the outside and understands the business better than someone who's been in security for 20 years, that maybe doesn't. Like, because I do feel like we have gotten in a little bit of a rut in the past of everyone in this security was just kind of this old school security person that wanted to talk tech and do all of this, but with it changing to the business minded security executive, like that's a different sort of mindset that we've got to get out there. I've been talking a lot about, more about it lately, but I think that could be the thing that maybe changes the hoodies because there are still guys in hoodies. We know that, but. Oh, um, and but, you need, the, you need that, <laughs> you need right? Those guys. Yeah. That's part of the point is that you need all of the different skills, perspectives, personalities, you know, expertise, you need all of that. You know, I think about it a little bit like, you know, the cyberspace is growing up now, right? Like we're getting to a place where, I don't know, are we 18 or, you know, high teens at this point? And, and I don't mean actually a number of years. I just mean in, in drawing a parallel between like a human life cycle and, and the cybersecurity maturity and life cycle. You know, we're not just kids anymore. We're moving up to the adult table, right? And so what yeah. does that mean in terms of how we have to change the way that we think about what we do? I see a lot of that driving discussions around like simplicity and things like that as well. I think we all know that there's no shortage of tools, technology, solutions that every organization has. And I think in some instances, we're starting to see a a movement towards more simplification versus more best of breed. But I I digress. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I could talk about that for a while, too. 100%. So, you know, kind of along this same track here. Like you've been at Deloitte for, I think, almost 20 years. You know, we talked a little bit about kind of your path and how you were environmental science. And what's the biggest learning of your career that you could maybe talk about? You know, one of the things that I don't know if this is the biggest learning or if it's just something that has developed it over time. But, you know, I've become a huge fan of asking a lot of questions. And, you know, I think in the cyberspace that to some degree goes without saying, I think we're all like the question askers as it relates Mm -hmm. to, to being the risk managers. But there was a point in my career where I felt like asking a question in a large meeting, particularly with a fairly executive audience, was, you know, I was being too vulnerable. It looked like maybe I didn't know something. And I've really found over time that asking those questions often 
open up the conversation and it doesn't have to reflect that I don't understand something. It can mean that I'm trying to get either a deeper understanding or gain perspectives from others in the room on how they're experiencing or perceiving what we're talking about. So I've really found that using that, asking the right question at the right time is more of a... <laughs> a gift than it is a weakness, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I really try to hone in terms of being able to help open up a conversation, particularly when, like you said, a lot of times there may be a lot of like-minded people in a room. And that's, you know, usually when it may be even more uncomfortable to ask a question where it may seem like you don't know what you're talking about. But I've actually often found that that's exactly when to ask because it can change the dynamic of the conversation and it can make sure that some additional voices maybe are heard. I like that. That's a good lesson. And here's a little bit more of a broader question. Like, what do you think needs to change in the cybersecurity industry as a whole? I talked a little bit about simplicity just a couple minutes ago. And I do think that ultimately that is a very important and critical theme. I think we continue to have more and more data, but not necessarily more information. I think we continue to struggle to take highly technical topics and translate them into business terms. And when I say we, I mean the royal we. I don't mean any any individual <laughs> or organization. I mean just broadly yeah. in the industry of cyber. I think that that's true. We're a group that, you know, as we've talked about, has evolved from deep technologists, scientist types, math types. We like precision. We've always liked precision. The reality is, in some cases, we're going to have to favor simplicity versus precision if we want to be able to move forward in the right general direction. There's not perfect in the world and there's definitely not perfect as it relates to cybersecurity. And I think we've got to be more willing to be less precise, but be able to move faster and make things more simple. But that's a huge change management thing to think about because mm -hmm. a lot of this is embedded in you know personality types and what people are comfortable with. That's one of the conversations I have with my wife at home. Sometimes, you know, she's on the perfection side. I'm on the, I'm going to do five things in the time that it would take me to, to be perfect. And so there's always a little bit of conversation there because I'm like, <laughs> I think, like, I'll never get it perfect, but I've just got to keep going because I got ahead. six other things. Yeah. So like when it comes to us and we have to sort through the data and make these decisions, maybe just sometimes doing what you can going on and doing the learning is best. I like that. All right, last question before we do a couple of rapid fire ones. Do you have any advice on someone entering the IT or the information security field? My advice in this type of a question is always being willing to take a risk. Be willing to take a job or a role that you don't totally understand. Be willing to take a jump into, you know, a different type of role than maybe you've ever had before. You know, I don't know that that's cyber specific, but I have mm -hmm. found that some of my best experiences have been when I was asked if I'd be willing to do something. It was, you know, pretty obscure. There were a lot of unanswered questions. It felt pretty risky, but 
I did it anyway. And that I think it has really opened up my eyes in terms of like, well, you know, that allows you one to shape it a little bit yourself if it is mm-hmm. obscure and to make it your own. But there's also often a lot of value in showing the willingness to take the risk and jump in to something that's just not maybe as firm. And I think a space like cyber, quite frankly, and cybersecurity, we definitely don't know it all yet. There's probably roles that will exist in five years that we don't even talk about today. And so I think that it's really applicable in a space that's evolving very rapidly. Great answer. I like that. Good stuff. All right. Rapid fire. Get ready for it. What's the most important habit that a security leader or an IT leader can have? Read. I hate to say this because some people think it's terrible, but I'm not a big book person, but I read Mm -hmm. a lot of articles. I read Mm -hmm. a lot of blogs. I read probably way more email than, you know, anyone should. (laughs) But I mean, things are moving and changing very rapidly. And I just think that there's not enough reading that you can do to keep up on the different elements of cyber and the threat. No, yeah. I spend way too much time on Twitter and LinkedIn and all those trying to do the same thing. I totally agree. What is one tip you would offer listeners to increase their cybersecurity? I feel like it's some of what I just said about reading, but Mm -hmm. I also would say take on a project that is very different than what you normally do. Because I feel like that's a little bit more tangible. So if you're somebody that focuses in identity management and you've been, you know, working on identity management for the last two or three years, pick up a project, you know, or a role that's focused in on 24 by 7 monitoring or threat intelligence. I mean, take the leap. And cyber is such a broad and such a deep space. It's almost impossible. I didn't feel this way, by the way, 10 or 15 years ago. I feel this way now that like nobody can truly understand all of the things end to end breadth wise. And for sure, you can't be as deep across all of the capabilities. But push yourself to have new experiences and try different things. It will open your mind and the way that you think about things beyond just the new capability itself. Yeah, great advice. There's so much to learn in the security space. And the more that you can learn about another area, the better. And everything is, to some extent, like I feel like everything is kind of coming together. Like There used to be cloud and there used to be app and then there used to be networking. And now it's like, well, cloud and networking are kind of together. And then so is app. And so the more you can learn now, it will help you, you know, later, like you said, because we don't know what it's going to be like five years from now. So, well, that does it for us today, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have a minute, please subscribe and consider rating the show or writing us a review and check back in two weeks for another episode of the Code to Cloud podcast. Thank you again. This podcast is brought to you by Lacework, the leading data-driven cloud-native application protection platform. Lacework is trusted by nearly a thousand global innovators to secure the cloud from build to run. Lacework delivers true end-to-end protection, empowering customers to prioritize risks, find known and unknown threats faster, achieve continuous cloud compliance, and work smarter, not harder, all from one unified platform. Learn more at lacework.com.